it's just me. I get to talk about the fun things that I like to talk about, um, which is always one of my very favorite things. Um, because I get to nerd out. <laughs> That's what I really love to do, is nerd out a little bit on the amazing body, all that it has to give, all that it has to offer. Maybe, maybe offer a little bit of perspective about it as well. Um, and hopefully be a guide, uh, be a guide that allows you to maybe be open to something that you didn't know, or maybe you realize that, uh, that there's, there's more that you have the ability to, to do with maybe what you're dealing with. And what I mean is, you know, sometimes we think often, uh, and I say this because I hear it a lot, right? I hear a lot that the first thing that I do is I go to my doctor. And sometimes that makes a lot of sense. But I also have heard a lot, especially lately, interestingly, um, so many people have come to me who are just like ping pong balls in the medical system. And this isn't a bash on the medical system, right? It is, it really is just, really having the realization that the medical, the, that conventional medicine is really, really great at acute care. But I do believe that it often fails at chronic care. And that's what so many are dealing with, are these chronic situations. We can have acute situations come up within these chronic situations, right? But how do we manage the chronic pain, the chronic fatigue, the chronic disease, the chronic autoimmune condition, the chronic GI pain, right? How do we manage this stuff? And instead of putting, you know, BS labels on it, like IBS, you know, um, let's understand what the cause is. Because dysfunction, there's always a reason. There's always a reason for dysfunction. There's always a reason for symptoms. And it's taking a step back and listening to your body and, 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 and having the thought process that what is it that my body's trying to tell me? Because it is, it's trying to tell us something, right? We gotta learn to listen. And so, um, you know, as always, we always start the show with gratitude. And I think that that's, you know, as I'm kind of talking through all of this stuff, probably what I'm most grateful for today is, is the fact that I was going to say that I chose this this profession that I'm in. It chose me. You know, God put me here. This <laughs> it really wasn't me. Um, I didn't know that this is what I was going to do. Uh, and so, you know, I I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I love to learn. I'm grateful that I love to listen. Whether it's listening, you know, at conferences, so I can be open-minded and learn and you know get the cutting edge information whether it's listening to my clients who are sad and scared and frustrated and fearful and anxious and all of these things because they don't know what's going on with their bodies and they don't know why they, they that, you know, the, they're being failed in other areas. Um, anyway, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, an amazing place to be. And I think being on this wave of the functional medicine, functional nutrition world, where it truly is about digging into root cause and then finding solutions to the root cause instead of covering up symptoms. And at the same time, 
being on this, this edge of epigenetics where we're starting to, to be able to, to truly individualize care, truly individualize nutrition for a specific body and for specific needs based on epigenetic variants, which is fascinating and beautiful and uh, it's, it's, it's like this whole futuristic thing that's here now. And I, I, for one, am just stoked about the whole thing. We have so much, so much to learn, but, uh, but it's, 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 it's a really great place to be. So I'm excited to continue to learn and I'm excited to con continue to share. So I wanted to chat today about fertility and the immune system. And, you know, we talk about the immune system a lot. It obviously, it's our, it's a big part of our protector, right? It is our defender. It takes care of us. And that's one of the things that I hope that you remember about the body, period, is when our body is in a situation of struggle, right? When it's whatever challenge or struggle or whatever it is that you're dealing with, the body, all it wants to do is protect us and keep us alive. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be more open-minded about the fact and I don't, we still don't fully understand the immune system and we certainly don't full, fully understand autoimmune disease. And so we talk about, when it comes to autoimmune disease, we talk about uh, immune system dysfunction. And I, you know, is that, is that entirely correct? Maybe. Um, but what if, what if our body is actually just protecting us? What if it's not truly dysfunction, it's the body trying to protect us, but it's also speaking to us because something is not right. We're not giving it what it needs. We're not feeding ourselves properly. We're too stressed. We're not exercising enough. Hey, Brandon. We're ex <laughs> we're ex my brother just joined. Uh, we're, we're not exercising enough or we're exercising too much, right? We have a lot of these athletes who are, you know, these type A, hardcore, go-getter athletes, and they, they, they train so hard that the body starts to reject that intense training. We're not built that way. Um, hi, Sharon. And so we're, we are, we're built for more moderate exercise, right? So um, that's going to be dependent upon the person with the person's needs, right? Depending on health status, de depending on, um, uh, you know, how the body reacts to certain type of exercise, as well as what makes you happy, right? So exercise is so important, whatever it is, just do it. Go for a walk, go for a run, go for a swim, do yoga, do Pilates, I don't know and I don't care, just do something. Um, and that's a key part, I'm a little off, off, uh, off topic here, but it's a big part of it because all of these things are what impact the immune system. And so when we talk about the immune system and its dysfunction, maybe it's not necessarily dysfunctional. Maybe it's just telling you, I need, I need help here and let's figure out what's going on. So, you know, moving into the, you know, so much of our immune system, like 70% of our immune system is in the gut. So understanding that the microbes in our gut are, play a huge role in protecting us. And when those microbes are out of balance, right? So we have um, what we call commensal bacteria, and then we, or we have what we call opportunistic bacteria and fungi. So 
an example of this is normal natural bacteria and fungus that live in the body, candida being one of those. Uh, for women, if you've ever had a yeast infection, men can have this too. We can also have systemic yeast infections. Um, this is, candida is normal and natural to the body, but when our microbiome, our commensal bacteria are not robust enough, then it allows for the opportunistic bacteria to then become pathogenic. So that's problematic, but then we also have truly pathogenic bacteria, worms, microbes. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of ame amoebas lately, which is really interesting uh, and not good. But you know, it's, it's the understanding that we all have these and we have the potential for these. We no longer eat the foods that we should eat that allow for essentially you know, antimicrobial diets. So uh, we want to, we always have to, when we're looking at immune system dysfunction, immune system yelling at us, whatever it is, we always want to look at the gut, but, we all, but there's, there's so much more to it, right? What are the other insults in, in, in our environment, in our world, that are potentially creating a, an issue for our immune system? So it can be toxicants in the environment, right? It can be the glyphosate, the, the pesticides, the herbicides. And glyphosate is the one that's hit on the most today, but there are so many types of pesticides and herbicides beyond glyphosate that we need to understand that they're all problematic. They're all toxic. They're all xenoestrogens, which we're gonna get into here in a little bit. Um, but all of these things are creating a massive toxic burden in our body. It's in our food, it's in our water, it's in our air, it's in our cleaning products, it's in our body care products, it's in all of these things. And in order to calm the immune system down, we've got to start eliminating all of these things that we have control over, right? So we have control over what we put in our body. We have control over what we put on our body. We have control over what we clean our homes with. So we may not have control over the chemicals that are in the air due to the manufacturing plants and that kind of thing, and that's fine, but that's when we support our immune system to, to, to allow for the body to better uh, 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 eliminate the toxins that tend to build up in the body, right? So anyway, moving on you know, to <laughs> the whole point <laughs> of this, this talk is really about digging into how immune, the immune system, how autoimmune conditions affect conception, fertility, pregnancy, um, having healthy pregnancy outcomes, right? Or having miscarriages and things like that, which are, you know, the more I dig into this, you know, I find it, I find it so disheartening that doctors, maybe it's not just doctors, but in the conventional medical world, women are being told that they have to deal with so many miscarriages before they can do something about it. And I've heard this several times. I'm like, how does that make any sense? I'm not sure how that makes any sense at all. So where I come at this is the preconception planning piece of it. If you, if you are not suffering with any symptoms, then at the very least, taking the time to, to plan for pregnancy, 
it's not, it literally is not something where you should just be super willy-nilly about it. And if you listen to me at all, I've said it once, I've said it a million times. The health of your body today, both men and women, have the ability to impact seven generations ahead. That's hundreds of years of health or dishealth. It's the most amazing, most empowering thing that I can even imagine is the control that I have, the control that all of us have over creating a healthy future. It's, it's really beautiful. But just coming at it willy-nilly and not worrying about the outcomes because you, we, we hear that the body will take care of the self and the baby will just take what, what the baby needs and you know mom will just you know deal with it kind of stuff. It's this. It's just a. I think it's a. It's a. It's an antiquated way of looking at at health, at fertility, at at raising a family, um, and raising a healthy future. So I, I do think it's problematic. But the reason I got into you know preconception planning in the first place was because I kept having women coming to me who were dealing with all of the things that I deal with: GI dysfunction, autoimmune conditions, excessive weight hormonal dysfunction, right? All of these things, and they're like, well, I'd like to get pregnant, but I've got all of this stuff going on, or they're already struggling to get pregnant because it's not happening. And so I really wanted to, you know, I'm doing all of the th same things, but to really bring an awareness around the importance of preconception planning. Um, and I'm gonna keep saying it, I'm gonna say it a million times because it, I, to me, it's, it's getting it out into the world that preconception planning is key. It is key for today, for the future, and for hundreds of years to come, right? So one of the things that, you know, that I talk about a lot, and I want to hit on this a little bit because I do think it's, it's really important, um, but then I'm going to move on to what I think is, is super intriguing as well. But I talk a lot about um, the thyroid gland because the thyroid gland really uh, it, it impacts every part of us there are thyroid receptor uh, thyroid hormone receptor sites on every cell of the body it impacts everything about us and if we are struggling with thyroid conditions whether it's hypothyroid hyperthyroid Hashimoto's which is autoimmune thyroid condition if we're struggling with any of these all of them will impact fertility all of them will impact conception and they'll certainly impact pregnancy and, and, and unfortunately usually negatively. So we, we can have a situation where we don't even know we have symptoms or we don't have symptoms, but we still have a thyroid situation. You know, the, the, the functional range of TSH, which is sort of the most commonly tested uh, thyroid hormone, which is actually not truly a thyroid hormone, it's a pituitary hormone. So the pituitary gland secretes TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, to stimulate the thyroid, right? So then the thyroid produces T3 and T4. And so we, you know, we may not have symptoms or we, it may not, like I said, it may not even be a primary thyroid symptom. symptom. It, it can potentially be a pituitary, I'm sorry. Thy, it, it can not necessarily be a thyroid problem, but a secondary thyroid problem secondary to the pituitary gland. And then going back to it, you know, if we're having, you know, liver dysfunction, gut dysfunction, all of that impacts the thyroid as well. So when 
We're told we're doing a thyroid test and all we're testing is TSH, T3, and T4, and maybe another one, and usually not. We're not getting the whole picture. And we have to have a true understanding of the entire picture to know where, wh where and what we address first. Remember, it goes back to root cause, right? We wanna understand the root cause of dysfunction. Most cases, the pituitary or the thyroid or the cardiovascular system, you name it, it doesn't become dysfunctional just because, right? It becomes dysfunctional because it's, there is an insult or there's deficiency or both, right? And so we have to know that. And so I wanted to um, give just, I don't know if it really matters. I think so many people really already know these, but when it comes to symptoms, just in case, I think it's important to start naming off some symptoms because if this is you, you know, you start to think, huh, I wonder if maybe I should get my thyroid tested and suggest, not suggest, insist on an entire thyroid panel, which is about nine markers. We're usually testing one, two, three, or four, right? So it's about nine markers, but depending on the situation, maybe 10. Um, hypothyroid symptoms, uh, you know, goiter, right, you know, so your thyroid sits, sits right here. Um, goiter, neck, jaw pain, temperature changes. Interestingly, um, your, your temperature can change. It can go too low and it can go too high. So it's kind of, kind of feverish. What's interesting too, is if you're suffering with Hashimoto's, autoimmune thyroid, what can happen is it's everything, the, the immune system, and I wanna reiterate this, Hashimoto's is not a thyroid condition. Hashimoto's is an immune system condition. So when we, we give people drugs for their thyroid, we're not addressing the root cause. And that's still not even the root cause. What's creating the immune system dysfunction, dysfunction in the first place, right? So um, we want to, I sort of lost my place. <laughs> oh, what can happen, because this happened to my mom, is it can, it can be, you can go into what's called a thyroid or, or a Hashimoto's storm, right? And so you're going into these massive hot flashes. And a lot of women think that it's actually their, you know, perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms, and which is what my mom thought. And it, it's, it's these, these really intense swings in, in temperature when you're so, so completely out of whack. So this is a really big symptom. And what's interesting, because it's hard for me to comprehend, I wasn't there when this happened to my mom, but it was so intense for her that she almost had to take herself to the emergency department. It's, it's super intriguing, um, but know that you know these things aren't normal. So if you have these swings in temperature, know that this is, this is a symptom. Um, obviously weight gain, right? Weight gain is very typical. Thinning and coarse hair, puffy face, they might sometimes call it moon face. Um, you can also, you'll see this kind of thing with uh, like uh, cortisone uh, steroids, uh, like prednisone, um, kind of creates this moon face. Uh, low energy, obviously problems getting pregnant, recurrent miscarriages, and interestingly too is hyperthyroid because it makes everything slow down, right? It's just everything slows down so the cardiovascular system slows down so the cardiovascular so the, you know the arteries become kind of stiff so it really can start to lead to cardiovascular issues cardiovascular disease so we want to be super aware and understanding if we do have these 
symptoms to, to, to start to dig. And we can be hypothyroid without being Hashimoto's, right? Which is the better option than having a full, full on autoimmune condition. But knowing, um, knowing because when you know, then you know how to address it. Um, and we can address it. Sometimes we might wanna add on some drugs for a short period of time, especially in acute situations. But these are all things that can be addressed by lifestyle, by food, by supplementation, therapeutic supplementation, understanding what is creating the problem so we can start to then create balance. Um, we also then, of course, have hyperthyroid. Usually hyperthyroid is autoimmune. Um, and so nervousness, anxiety, palpitation, shortness of breath, heat intolerance, fatigue, Dry, gritty eyes, so you can think about the eyes, you know, get puffy. Those are, that's a hyperthyroid situation. Constant hunger, diarrhea, sweating, um, leg swelling, hair loss, itchy skin, muscle weakness, irregular cycle, pre-menop premature menopause, inability to conceive, and chronic miscarriage. So you can see how <clears throat> hypo and hyper both have a significant impact on uh, fertility and on conception and pregnancy. What I missed and didn't really say on hypo is, of course, and this is what I hear a lot, is always cold and intolerance to cold. Um, fingernails are, you know, splitting and breaking and that kind of thing. So those are all uh, uh, you know, pretty typical signs of, of uh, underactive thyroid. And so um, what's interesting, too, is if we have antibodies, so... <laughs> What happens is in an autoimmune condition, we have antibodies that develop by the immune system against thyroid hormones. And so the antibodies start to attack and damage the thyroid. Um, but what happens also, which is so important to fertility and conception, is that once this happens, they can also then have, the body can also then just start to create these antibodies against estrogen, against FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, or LH, uh, progesterone, human chorionic, gonad human chorionic gonadotropin. So these are all really important hormones, important to fertility. If we start having antibodies against these, these are certainly gonna impact our ability to conceive. Then, beyond that, we can start having um, antibodies against neurotransmitters. Now, when we hear about neurotransmitters, we usually think about, um, you know, serotonin, dopamine, um, uh, uh, acetylcholine, and uh, what they, ha they can impact, though, so, or some of these neurotransmitters. So, sorry, back up. Neurotransmitters, interestingly, a lot of us have the sense, I was the same way, that neurotransmitters are pr produced in the brain because they affect um, how we feel and how we think and our focus and our mood and all of these things. So many of them are produced in the gut. 90% of serotonin, which is our happy neurotransmitter, is produced in the gut. So healthy gut, healthy bacteria is going to helpfully, will, will help to initiate healthy neurotransmitter production. So if we have um, an unhealthy gut, unhealthy neurotransmitter production. What can happen though, again, once we have, we start to have autoimmune dysfunction, I'm gonna just continue to call it dysfunction because it's easy, um, and that's what everybody calls it at this point, but we start to have then antibodies against these neurotransmitters. 
which also can play a role in fertility. And so uh, they are important to both uterine and ovarian function. And so when this happens, we can then start to see things like fibromyalgia, depression, night sweats, PMS. Who doesn't have PMS? You ladies out there. <laughs> um, you know, the interesting thing too is I think, you know, little changes in the body are normal during PMS. Hormones are going to change. It's going to create change. I've had so many clients who have, who are monthly in so much pain that they regularly are going to the emergency department because they don't know how to handle the pain. This is not normal and it's not okay. Um, and so I, 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 I had a client specifically this was happening to her on a regular basis and her doctor put her on two different birth control pills. This not only didn't help her, but she started having suicidal thoughts. Now, this was not her. Thankfully, she, re she recognized that. Um, but we have to, we have to really, really consider the drugs that we take and how everybody, no matter who you are, will react to them differently. Um, and how, I think it's the number two or the number three top uh, 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 cause of death is medical error. So, instead of just going to the drugs, and again, I will repeat, sometimes they're necessary, and I totally get that. But take a step back and listen to your body. Why is it in so much pain? This is why we have to continue to peel away the onion. Get to the root cause. Understand why there's such intense pain, because there's a reason for it. Um, okay, so if antibodies are, are, are attacking, neuro, attacking neurotransmitters, it also can create anxiety hormone imbalance, right? Poor uterine lining, which is certainly going to affect for, uh, fertility, um, and the inability for ovaries to respond to fertility drugs. So if you're going through fertility treatments, if you've not been tested for, for all of these autoimmune potentials, if that makes any sense, um, then you're not getting to the root cause. You're not addressing the dysfunction. You're not addressing the immune system that's screaming out hey, I need you to jump on board here and help me out. So, um, let's see. So then the uterus begins suffering because it, it won't uh, produce adequate lining for implantation. Um, and so it's what's important is really understanding if you're not conceiving or if you are conceiving and not maintaining, okay? So there, there's very different approach to working with the body on both of those scenarios. So really having, again, finding somebody, working with somebody who's, who's gonna help you to understand, understand the entire story, at least as much as possible, right? We don't know everything. We don't know a lot, <laughs> but we, we also know a lot. So. Um, going back to one of the biggest reasons why I brought I, I wanted to bring about soulful conception and preconception planning is because 
when these women's are women's when these women are coming to me and having these significant health issues and they want to expand their families my job is to dig my job is to not cover up symptoms my job also is to work with their provider uh, their other providers I always want people to build their team so if we need to have a doctor on board yes that's great um, but I am here to dig and to help understand and to balance the body. That's my ultimate job, right? And so, uh, let's see. So if we are, if we're looking at all of these, sorry, I'm just kind of reading my notes here, but if we're looking at all of these situations, we want to continue our preconception planning but if we're dealing with autoimmune conditions on top of that, then we want to continue that care throughout pregnancy as well. So we can do our best to, to decrease the chances of, of miscarriage, okay? So it's a minimum of 10 weeks into pregnancy. Um, I would say probably more than that. So uh, interesting is if, if a doctor, if your doctor is testing your T3 and your T4 and your TSH and there's some dysfunction found, um, and, and one of the things I was going to say earlier, which is interesting to me, is as, as I have been practicing, the functional ranges for thyroid hormones and pituitary hormones have, sh have changed. They've shifted, right? When I first started practicing, TSH at 1.8 to 3 was optimal. Now we're looking at closer to 0.8 to 2.5. So note that if you go to your doctor and your thyroid is, your TSH is sitting at three and they're telling you it's fine, but you're still having symptoms of fatigue, you're still having symptoms of thinning hair, you're still having symptoms. Not everybody's gonna have symptoms at three, but if you're having symptoms, People, these, your practitioners need to listen to you. Advocate for yourself. They have to listen to you. This is another lesson that I learned with my mom. I think she was sitting at four, which, you know, her doctor kept telling you, these aren't, this isn't a thyroid issue. You're not having a problem. Well, it ended up being Hashimoto's, but she, she would flare and it would jump up and then it would come back down. And she wasn't being listened to and she also wouldn't advocate for herself. I had to, had to keep, push, keep pushing her and pushing her and pushing her till finally they diagnosed her. They did all of the testing, did a full thyroid panel like we asked for and she was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. So it's unfortunate that sometimes we have to, we have to do the digging and tell our practitioners what we need. Um, and the unfortunate thing is sometimes they don't listen. So find somebody who will listen, right? I get so frustrated with my, my, my clients coming to me and saying, uh, my doctor just wants to put me on antidepressants or my doctor's telling me it's all in my head or my doctor is just telling me this is just the way you're made, you have to deal with it, that's life. Bullshit, okay? So find, find your practitioners who are gonna listen to you. Okay, moving off of my soapbox and on to uh, let's see, I'm going to go through these. I think it's important for anybody, anybody who's listening and maybe you are struggling, maybe you do have some thyroid dysfunction, autoimmune or not. There are a list of labs that, I, that are important to, to understanding 
your immune system. And if there's any kind of antibody activity, which might be impacting fertility, conception, pregnancy, okay? So I think that these are important. So we've all, I think probably most everybody's heard of an ANA. It's an anti-nuclear antibody. So it's very general, just shows antibody activity, but it doesn't really show us where. So it is important. Um, and just because it comes up negative doesn't mean we don't have antibody activity somewhere else. So it's, it's a fine marker, but it's, it's, it's often we see that only, and it's not the end all be all by far. Um, so we have activated partial thromboblast, thromboblast uh, sorry, thromboplastin time, lupus anticoagulant antibody, antithyroid antibodies. Uh, I do that. Every, if I am doing a thyroid panel on someone, they're always getting an antibody test, a thyroid antibody test, always. And there are two of them, okay? Um, serum immunoglobulins, leukocyte and antibody detection assay. Antiphospholipid antibodies, anti-DNA histone antibodies, natural killer cell assay, and one that I run fairly regularly, which is not diagnostic, but it's a great, great test. It's called multiple autoimmune reactivity screen. This is a panel that we can run early. Like it, it's, it's predictive, for lack of a better word, of immune conditions 10 years down the road, right? Which is awesome to be able to mitigate autoimmune conditions or any kind of condition. <laughs> we wanna mitigate this stuff. We wanna know how to mitigate it. So if I'm working with somebody who's dealing with fertility issues or who's just dealing with autoimmune or is just struggling, right? Often, depending on the situation, but often I'm gonna run this uh, multiple autoimmune reactivity screen because it will show us antibody activity all over the body and it will show it prior to the ability for some of these other tests to diagnose. So like I said, this is not a diagnostic test, it's an information test. But if we see where there's antibody activity, then we know how to address it and we can catch it prior to. So if you're having, you know, um, if you're having antibody activity toward any of these hormones early on, we can start to hopefully, you know, um, squash that inflammation and squash that 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 uh, that antibody activity. And uh, the what's so important is understanding that all of these things are lifestyle, right? We blame these things on on genetics, but it's not. Which brings me into also I want to dig into endometriosis, which is funny because I only have twenty minutes, and that's what I was going to spend most of my time on. But that's okay, uh, because endometriosis is, it's, is believed to be immune dysfunction. When I was in school, we were told it was autoimmune disease. And so that's how I address endometriosis is as an autoimmune condition. Um, not everybody's gonna agree with that, and that's okay. Uh, but I think that, that when we're looking at any kind of problem where the body is not doing its job properly for whatever reason, is it protective, is it dysfunction, you know, whatever, there's still more to it. What's the reason? And that gets me, you know, as I was going into the hereditary thing, there, there, there are a lot of those who believe that endometriosis is hereditary, which is a genetic component. I don't disagree, but in my mind, it really is more of an epigenetic situation. 
right? So we can have the potential. My sweet mom, I don't know why I keep bringing her up, but she had um, Hashimoto's, she had endometriosis. Before she passed, we saw that she just found out, nobody told her, but her lab showed us she also had rheumatoid arthritis. That's what happens, unfortunately, when we have one, we have multiple, and we can have the potential for autoimmune disease in our epigenome. We can have the potential for cardiovascular disease in our epigenome because it is passed on from generations. This is why I am so excited and motivated to get the word out about preconception planning because if we can turn off these genes now, the likelihood of, of that potential expressing in our children, in our great-grandchildren, in our great-great-great-grandchildren is minimized, right? And so we can do this all just by our lifestyle. And so I will, I will throw out there, and this is a one-person study, sweet mom having all of these autoimmune conditions that she struggled with, I have none. Um, and I certainly anticipate not having any. Now, you know, I'm not perfect. My environment's not perfect. It's pretty close. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's an awareness. And so I can, I can address my body, address my, uh, my needs based on knowing my history, based on knowing, having the information on how to take care of myself through my own study and through my own research which is also why I do what I do so I can guide others so they can know their body. That's the best part of what I do is when people have these amazing aha moments about their health, about their body, about what they need, and about how to move past whatever it is that they're dealing with. And you know, I, I tell people this all the time that we're working on this stuff today, but this is stuff that you take with you for a lifetime. This is stuff that you take with you for for the rest of your life to help you know how to how to deal with, mitigate, avoid these struggles in life. And then again, also how we can mitigate all of this junk for the health of our kiddos, right? And so it's interesting when it comes to endometriosis. I'm gonna start kind of running through this a little bit, but what we found is for, for whatever reason, um, the, the blood in the uterine tissue tends to kind of be sprayed back. It's not all eliminated for whatever reason. What is that? And what is it though, too, that, we be, that it's believed that, that this happens to every woman, right? It's not, perfection is, you know, things aren't perfect, so you know, blood's gonna sit in other places. Blood typically, if it's in, you know, it happens during surgery, it happens anytime there's blood in tissues, starts to create scar tissue, right? It's adhesions. Um, and so why does endometriosis happen for some, but not all? Don't know, right? That's, that's what the question is. And so is there a situation of toxicity, of, of, of maybe weakened or dampened immune function? Um, you know, what, what is it that's creating this? And yes, there is uh, a component of hereditary or epigenetics uh, that's involved, but if we focus on keeping the immune system strong, keeping our, our gut microbiome strong, these are the best, best tools that we have to avoid these situations from, from popping up, okay? And so 
interesting too is you know we can find endometrial uh, endometrial tissue from endometriosis on you know throughout the pelvic cavity it can happen anywhere it also can start to bind things right right that scar tissue that those adhesions bind everything together so it creates tons of pain and the prostaglandins are crampy, right? So it produces lots of prostaglandins, which create cramps, which can which intensifies cramps. So it really is kind of a nasty situation. What I keep my, trying to say, though, interestingly, is there have been there have been these lesions also found in brain tissue, on liver tissue. We don't know how it migrates like that, but it's fascinating and it's a little bit scary that it can migrate to these other tissues that are outside of the pelvic cavity. And so. Um, as we know, you know, this can severely impact uh, conception, fertility, um, it, can be, it can be really, really problematic. So what I want to do, I think, is get into um, how, do, how do we address these things and what, what is it that makes the most sense when, whether we're trying to avoid because we know our history, whether we're trying to, to dampen systems. Can we get rid of symptoms? Maybe. We don't really know. You know, endometriosis, they say, is not curable, but we can, there, We have stopped the spread. We've stopped the progression. Uh, sometimes surgery is necessary, but what's interesting, too, I think the benefit of surgery is if you're trying to get pregnant and, and you can eliminate these lesions, it can, it can create a situation where you can get pregnant quickly because you're not dealing with all of the lesions and you know all of the junk and the pain and you know the adhesions and that kind of thing but probably what's going to happen if you don't address it at its core is the lesions will come back so you, you get pregnant also which is kind of cool because you're not having a period during pregnancy the the spread the the, the problems that endometriosis creates are much lessened during pregnancy, which is awesome, right? But it doesn't mean that it's gone, and it doesn't mean that it's 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 cured. So we want to be really, really aware of that. But I mean, I think that's the ideal situation. If you have endometriosis, you know, a stage three or a stage four, especially where you have surgery, you clear things out as much as you can. You go, you get pregnant, and then you. But you have to again. You have to you have to change your lifestyle in order to start to um, create balance and allow the body to work properly and hopefully mitigate more of these lesions forming. And so I'm going to talk to you as I would talk about any autoimmune condition, uh, whether you agree that endometriosis is autoimmune or not, doesn't really matter because it's an inflammatory condition no matter what. Um, and the things that are going to increase inflammation Gluten and dairy, surprise, right? And so if you are suffering, struggling with an autoimmune condition, it's very black and white. I'm, I, most things are not black and white. Very, very black and white with autoimmune disease, gluten and dairy are inflammatory no matter what, they're problematic. They have to be 100% out of the diet. It's just the way that it is. It, it sucks, sure, but <laughs> it's just kind of the way that it goes in order to avoid flares, avoid lesions, avoid continued problems throughout life. Um, it's just part of it. The, I mean, the cool thing is, I mean, the world is dealing with so many of these chronic conditions that we are starting to move away 
from gluten and dairy anyway, and I said maybe not move away from, but we are coming up with some really amazing options, especially for gluten. You know, we've got great pastas, we've got great bread um, that are all, um, you know, not made of simple, unhealthy grains. You know, I, I'm still not convinced that grains are our friend. Um, and I think for a lot of people, they're not our friend at all. And I do think that that's individual. But gluten specifically is inflammatory, especially here in the United States. Um, it, but it's, it's, it's inflammatory, it's problematic. You, you just gotta get it out. It's, it's not healthy. It's not doing us any favors. Um, let's see. Oh, interesting. So the, the, the hormone that really can push endometriosis and, 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 and push problems with endometriosis, uh, you can probably assume, is estrogen. And so this is an interesting stat that I didn't know. 60 to 80% of the estrogens in the typical Western diet come from milk and other dairy products. This is linked to a higher rate of testicular and prostate cancers. We eat so much processed cheese and processed milk. Yes, it tastes good. But hear me out. This is beyond autoimmune disease. This is just pure health, okay? If you are a dairy person, if you have the need, feel the need to eat dairy and you don't have an autoimmune condition, you gotta get away from the conventional milk. It is, it is a dead food. It is full of hormones, pesticides, herbicides, unhealthy fat because the animal was unhealthy, right? The, the animal typically is, is obese, it is higher in unhealthy saturated fat, there's healthy saturated fat and unhealthy saturated fat. When an animal is unhealthy, the saturated fat's gonna be unhealthy, right? It's pretty simple. If the animal is healthy, grass-fed, 100%, then the saturated fat is going to be healthy. Now, we can have s certain um, epigenetic variants where we don't do well with saturated fat. I'm one of those people. Um, it's not that I avoid it, I just limit it a little bit, right? Because I know that's, it, that's potentially a problem for me, but that's not for everyone. But for everyone, an unhealthy animal creates an unhealthy person. Um, and so these estrogens that are in our milk and in our, our, our dairy products are severely problematic, creating situations of, um, you know, boys and, and men, you know, getting breast tissue. Uh, it's, 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 it's just, it's not okay. So what do we want to look at? We want to look at lots of good vegetables, right? I mean, just, you know, we want a variety of vegetables. I don't care if they're cooked, I don't care if they're raw, just have them on your plate. Just eat your vegetables, <laughs> we gotta have them, right? Um, and so healthy fat, what's healthy fat? Coconut oil, not a highly processed coconut oil, just a good raw coconut oil. Avocado oil, olive oil, don't cook with olive oil. These are good, healthy fats. Um, healthy meat and healthy fish. Some people will say they you want lean meat. I am one, I will, I will say a million times over, it's not about being lean, it's about it being a healthy animal. The fat's not the problem, it's the, it's the inflammatory fat from an inflamed animal that's a problem and creates inflammation from, for us, okay? So 100% grass-fed, no grains, no corn, no soy. Soy is a phytoestrogen. So we're, if, if they're, and we feed this to our animals, to our, uh, 
dogs also, usually problematic, uh, but to cows, to pigs, to chickens, they're not soy eaters. It's not, and they're not intended. It is not how God created them, right? And so we're giving them these, these grains and soy, soy full of phytoestrogens that's then going to be in the meat, it's then going to be in the milk, and it's then going to translate to us. So then we're getting, um, you know, all of the inflammation as well as the excess estrogen. Um, and so these are these. It's this is why we want to stay away from from conventional animals. On top of the fact that they're treated poorly, it's disgusting. It's all. It's it's. It just pisses me off. It's we we the way we treat our, our animals, these conventionally raised animals, is inhuman. Uh, it's it's inhumane, and so it just it really frustrates me. So if if anything, you know, eating healthy animals who are treated well, the way that God intended them to be treated. We are here to serve these animals because in the end they serve us. I think it's so important to keep that in mind. Um, other things important though is that alcohol. Alcohol has estrogenic activity on the body, specifically beer, wine, and bourbon, interestingly. Uh, so what happens, and this can be, you know, with, with men a lot of the times, we see these beer bellies, right? Those fat cells, that deep adipose tissue, it actually, it's very, very active, very active, and it, it produces hormones, produces estrogens. So we have in men um, this, this deep fat that produces estrogen. Then what's going to happen, which is so interesting to me, um, it's a natural process where we have what's called aromatase, which is an enzyme that converts testosterone to estrogen. So that's what's happening in this fat tissue when we have these men who are struggling with testosterone issues and their testosterone's low, um, and, and if they're not testing their estrogen, which is gonna be high, but if it's not being tested, then we just, we just give them um, testosterone implants, right, hormone replacement, or testosterone replacement therapy. What's it gonna do? Well, it's just gonna turn into more estrogen if we don't address the root cause. So we've got to lose that belly fat. We've got to decrease stress. We've got to get out and get some exercise. This is the stuff that is likely, more likely to increase testosterone and decrease estrogen in men. Um, <clears throat> let's see, what are all the other fun things? Oh, grains, getting into grains. So there's this, there's a term called xenoestrogen. And xenoestrogens, xenoestrogens can be uh, from a natural form, like a fungus, and it can also, it's, but it also can be chemical. So there are, uh, you know, pesticides, herbicides are considered xenoestrogens. And what that means is they go into the body. We have estrogen receptor sites on every cell of the body, men and women, and xenoestrogens come in and they bind to these estrogen receptor sites. So our natural innate estrogen is not able to do its job because it's bound by xenoestrogens whether it's from a chemical or whether it's from a fungus. And so there's a fungus that colonizes on corn and grains. So much of our food is made of corn and grains, especially our processed foods. And so when it's contaminated with this, this specific type of fungus, it creates estrogenic activity. So it goes back to not eating all of the processed foods that's estrogenic, yes, pesticides, herbicides, processed oils and fats that are completely inflammatory. These are really, really problematic. There are also certain preservatives that promote estrogenic activity. I've never heard of these, but 4-hexyl um, resorcinol, 
which is on shrimp and shellfish. It keeps them, uh, keeps them, keeps them fresh and keeps the color on them. I didn't know this until this morning. I, I love shrimp. And is this is this on my shrimp? Is this creating a problem for me potentially? Because I just did my testing and I am not eliminating xenoestrogens properly. So a huge problem for me. Uh, so that's an interesting one. And some will say that's, this is why we don't eat shrimp and shellfish. I love shrimp and shellfish. It's really too bad. Um, but, you know, or know your source, right? <laughs> Here in Colorado, I don't know any sources. So <laughs> we also have uh, propylgallate which is in vegetable oil, meat products, potato sticks, chicken soup-based chewing gum, which chewing gum also has gluten in it. Again, goes back to these processed foods that we're eating on a regular basis are contributing to our body being in this, this chronic, it could be low-grade inflammatory state. If, we're, if you're struggling with a disease or with symptoms, it could be a high-grade you know, inflammatory state. All of these things are are not doing us any favors. Um, and just, you know, eating from the earth, eating good, healthy, real food. And I, well, and let's take a step back. Grains are from the earth. Doesn't mean that they're benefiting us. Um, I think, you know, if we think about like, if we're eating sourdough bread, which is, you know, the probably the one of the original ways of eating bread, right? It's fermented, so the gluten content is reduced significantly or gone, um, as well as their heirloom grains, and it's uh, it's good, healthy yeast from the air and not from a laboratory. So what we've done is just taken we've taken what's good, and we've made it really, really bad. Okay, running low on time, but things like water, here's what I learned this today. And so our water, if we're putting, so if we have women on birth control pills, we can't take hormones out of our water. So we have women on birth con control pills, we have hormone replacement therapy, we have hormones in our cattle, which are defecating hormones and into the rivers. So there is this, this interesting, um, what we're finding are in some of these fish is that they're producing eggs in their testes. So we have, we have produced unintentionally, I hope, intersex fish because of all the hormones that are in our water. Fascinating and freaking scary. Jeez, man. So, um, so let's, I had to say that because our water, get a good filter. Don't drink out of plastic bottles. Plastic bottles, the, the plastic is estrogenic. It's also toxic and carcinogenic. Um, other things to keep in mind, BPA. BPA is the, on the print, on receipts. I think every time I grab a receipt, the person who gives it to me thinks I'm crazy because I'll take it and I'll hold it like this and I'll fold it where I don't have to touch the ink. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But it's truly, I don't want to touch the ink on it because it's, it's a xenoestrogen and it's disruptive canned foods and drinks, keg liners. So that's a double whammy if you're a beer drinker. Don't get me wrong, I love beer. If you're a beer drinker and you're drinking out of a keg, it's full of more estrogenic effect, as well BPA, I'm not saying that right, but you know, which has estrogenic effects. Uh, water bottles and then phthalates. So phthalates, uh, estrogenic effects, synthetic scents, stop using your plugins. Those are so damaging. You know, the, the sense that you put, you plug into the wall 
or your candles, if they're not just essential oils, you gotta stop using them. They're so damaging, they're damaging to you, your kids, your dogs and your cats. Um, oh, these things are so bad. I, I stayed at a friend's house one time and I just had to take it out of the wall um, and open the windows because it's, it's too much. It's, it's so, so toxic. Makeup, keep good natural healthy makeup. Um, vinyl shower curtains, vinyl flooring, all of your vinyl products, laundry products. Think about what you're putting in your laundry. Think of like the scents. If you smell your sheets and it's a conventional laundry detergent, it's problematic, right? If you smell your clothes, and we're smelling these all the time, all day long and all night when we sleep. We don't need to smell them or just use essential oils. I use orange oil. Um, you can get a big bottle of orange oil and stick it in your washer and stick it in your dryer and you might get a little orange oil on your clothes, but it comes out. Um, my husband hates that. So I'm trying to figure that one out. But anyway, um, yeah, don't, you gotta be really careful with that stuff. Nail polish, clean wrap, huge problem. Um, and then we have, let's see, the BCPs, that's where we're having problems with, with fish creating with you know, eggs in their testes. Uh, and then essential oils. Essential oils are beautiful and they're great, but for the purposes of fertility, we wanna be really careful with certain oils. So we wanna be careful with jasmine, clary sage, geranium, lavender, tea tree oil. Uh, they're great for a lot of people, but we have to know what your situation is and why and what you're trying to do um, and then we, that's why we have a lot of education around essential oils because they are very strong. I mean, they're truly medicinal, so we want to pay attention to that. Um, incorporating GLA, which is gamma-linolenic acid or primrose oil or borage oil, really, really great for, for, for women in general, but for, um, for helping with uh, pain, for helping with fertility, for helping with uh, conception, all of those things. Really great stuff. Okay, I think I'm at a point to where I probably should stop because I'm a little over my time, but I hit most everything that I wanted to hit, I believe. Um, I think the biggest thing to really take to heart is how much control we have 